Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host... Liel Zahaviasa. How's it going, Liel? It's good. The season started changing here in Israel, so it's been really nice. It has any excuse for sweaters or fleeces makes me happy because they're just cozy. Me too. Which is not our topic, though. This is not, you have not accidentally turned into a sweater cast podcast. Uh, this is a podcast about Israel. And today we are going to be discussing the life and career of Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs and his connection to Israel and Zionism as a thinker. And we have a very special guest for this discussion. Liel, would you please introduce our guest? Absolutely. So our guest today is Dr. Daniel Rose. He is a British-born educator with 30 years of experience in informal and formal Jewish education. He has worked with youth movements, movement programs in the UK and Israel, taught in Jewish day schools in the UK and the US, had administrative and teaching roles on global remote learning programs, and consulted for Jewish day schools in the UK, US, Australia, and South Africa. He has many years' experience... Uh, of curriculum and resource development, including as director of educational projects for Corin Publishers, where he was a series editor and developer of the Corin Magerman Educational Cedarim series, which are used in schools and communities around the world. He is currently director of education at the Rabbi Sachs Legacy Trust, where he is responsible for developing educational content and programming to further the legacy of the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. May his memory be a blessing. Uh, Daniel lives in Modi'in, Israel, with his wife and five children. Welcome, Daniel. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It is great to be here. Well, thanks for coming. After your CV, I think that's the end of the episode. We're out of time, so it was great <laughs> Yeah, like you. I'm exhausted, I know. Well, my mother wrote it, and I think she did a good job. <laughs> she did a great oh, job. Oh, so your mother's Jewish. Comprehensive. <laughs> she is. I'm, prou- I'm yeah, proud, it seems. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's not exactly, but it's around the uh, your site, the anniversary of the passing of. I'm not sure how to refer to him uh, in the podcast in a way that's not going to be too cumbersome. Do we just call him Rabbi Sachs? Is that? So this is such an interesting question because he had many titles, and yeah. uh, there's shtick that we all like to quote uh, that the the one he was most. Uh, um, the one he he that was most dear to him was just rabbi as in teacher. So we should call him Rabbi Sachs. He was a lord, okay, he sat great. in the House of Lords, and he was a professor. Mm-hmm. But Rabbi Sachs is the way that, uh, if we're going to be informal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he has had impact not only in the Jewish world, like I've seen him interviewed and listened to podcasts of him being interviewed. He, he became sort of a global spokesperson for Judaism more broadly, not only as a Jewish educator, but as sort of a communicator of the Jewish world outward. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was a, a, something very special about him, but also about the way that he managed to communicate the essence of Judaism. He communicated it in a way that was um, that, that was easy to understand on many levels. He was a very deep thinker and wrote very mm-hmm. complex books, but he also managed to write the same ideas in other forums using other media that, that meant everyone uh, could access his ideas. Um, including prime ministers and uh, kings and, and heirs to throne. He was very close with, with Prince Charles. In fact, I was lucky enough to be in London last week where there was a memorial lecture called um, 
the sax conversation. It's a, an inaugural uh, annual event. And Tony Blair, the, the, the uh, previous prime minister of Great Britain, was the keynote speaker who spoke beautifully about his their deep friendship, but also about how Rabbi Sachs's thought influenced him, um, mm. both in terms of his role as a politician, but also as a religious person. He's a, he's a deeply religious Catholic. Um, and it was a very inspiring talk that really reminded us what we've lost. That Rabbi Sachs was on some level chief rabbi to, to the non-Jewish world. Like he, he, he yeah. was the ambassador of the Jewish people to the non-Jewish world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a better way to say it. We wanted, we wanted to talk to you today. Obviously, this is an Israel Issues podcast. And we wanted to talk to you about something that doesn't always leap to the forefront of your thinking when you think of Rabbi Sachs, which is his, his connection to Israel and his attitude towards Zionism, and in particular, his approach towards religious Zionism. So when I ask you first, right up front, like when you say Rabbi Sachs in Israel, like where does your mind go? Like I know for Rav Soloveitchik, it goes to, you know, his his famous essay from 1956, the speech that he gave called Didi Dofeik. Rav Cook, you know, you think obviously about many areas of his writing. For Rav Sachs, where does, where does your head go? Well, so it's interesting you say that Israel might not be the first place, but Israel was so central to his mm-hmm. to his Jewish identity, his passion for Judaism, his his vision and philosophy of Judaism. Um, he never lived here, um, and uh, you know sometimes th- those of us who are these you know rabid, passionate Zionists will spend time, I, I think, uh, wasted time thinking about why certain leaders never didn't make Aliyah. Mm-hmm. We, we have the same conversation about Rav Soloveitchik. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a constructive approach. I, the real answer as to why Rabbi Sachs never moved here when he retired is, first of all, he never retired. Um, he, even when he stopped being chief rabbi, he, he became this global leader and, and, and thinker and traveled the world in, in terms of that. But his children and grandchildren will live in England. Um, mm-hmm. but Israel, if, uh, when you begin to read, um, both his thoughts, but also his his biography. And I don't mean biography as in a book that someone's written on him, but when he narrated his his Jewish journey, Israel was always central. He talks about, um, he was a, uh, a student at Cambridge University. He grew up in a traditional to religious home, but not an obvious breeding ground for a chief rabbi or global Jewish uh, uh, philosopher. Um, but a, a home that was very, very proudly Jewish. Um, but it wasn't until he, he was in university, exposed to many uh, uh, broader idea, philosophical ideas from the world of philosophy. He, he studied philosophy at uh, Cambridge. And, and then the Six-Day War occurred in 1967. And, and he talks about the impact that that had on him as a Jew. And I've heard many people of that generation talk about how sure. suddenly Jews who may be religious but weren't comfortable wearing a, a kippah in the street, suddenly they'd be wearing a kippah in the street. Suddenly... Yeah, my um, dad told me that. Yeah. In and, America, uh, same phenomenon. Yeah. And, and, he, and, and, and that, that summer, 1967, spurned him on a journey the following summer where he actually made a pilgrimage to America to meet um, the leaders of, of American Jewry, rabbinic leaders of American Jewry, because he realized that he needed to take his his Jewish journey more seriously, and he met with uh, he met with many rabbis there. But the two that, that stand out that he talks about is Rabbi Soloveitchik and, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Um, but the only reason I mention that story is because it was really the year before the Six Day War that really uh, um, um, 
you know, launched him on this more intensified journey that ultimately through guidance from those rabbis, especially the Babacha Rebbe, he then realized that he had a role to play in the Jewish people and, 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 and he was never considering a rabbinic career and, and, and that was the turning point. So that's the, the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, um, and this links back to his role as a, as a kind of a, um, someone who, who rubbed shoulders with prime ministers and presidents, and kings, um, and he and he sat in the House of Lords, so he was really someone who who moved in those circles, and to move in those circles and be outspoken on Israel can, can be uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And you can imagine there are many Jews who who I don't want to say hide their their commitment to to Israel as a state and to the Jewish people, but maybe they don't wear it on their sleeve. And that mm-hmm. was not him. He wore his 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 support of Israel and his passion for Israel. At, at, um, on his sleeve, and and he were, he addressed the House of Lords uh, during um, one of the conflicts in Gaza. It's hard to remember which one, which one. There've been so many. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, and it, and we know in Britain, a place where support of Israel is not something that's easy to do publicly in 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 the public mm-hmm. arena. And he would never ever back down from 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 doing that. So those are the things that, that my initial um, um, kind of response to to your question. Um, he he was a, a, a an avowed Zionist. He grew up in Bnei Akiva and was very proud of that and what Bnei Akiva gave him growing up. Bnei Akiva, the religious Zionist youth movement, um, and also he 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 uh, Israel plays a very clear and central role in his thought that I'm I'm sure we'll we'll get onto. I'll, I'll pause now to give you a chance to to uh, to to ask another question. Okay, no, I mean that's really that's what that's what I was most curious about. Like where where and 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 I think that. Um, well, yeah, I think I think that for I, I I agree with you that I don't think it's fruitful for for people who've moved to Israel to wonder why people haven't moved to Israel. I also think it's inevitable, like it's just this psychological place your head goes. The longer you live here, the stranger it feels that other people don't live other Jews don't live here, but that's of course absurd because most Jews don't live here. So, it's it's a weird psychological loop that uh, immigrants to Israel sometimes have. It's, uh, I guess I'm saying, I, I'm both agreeing with you that I don't think it's super constructive, but I also think it's totally natural. And when it's a leader, there's a kind of, you know, sadness. Like if, if he had, and obviously I'm not judging anyone's personal decisions, but if he had kept, you're, you're saying he still was sort of chief rabbi to the world. If he had done that from Israel... You know, well, well, what if? Or what if Rabbi Soloveitchik in 1935 moved to Israel? What would the world, the Jewish world look like? And, and, and this is a tension that Jewish, not just Jewish leaders, but Jewish, I've had this conversation around, you know, teacher room tables about, well, well if we all make Aliyah, who's teaching the thousands, right. if not, you know, the millions of Jews living in the diaspora, who's teaching them. So it's a real, right. it's a, it's a real... It's it's a values question that's I don't think right or wrong. I think it's a personal decision that we all have to be respectful of, you know, either way. I agree. And and respectful of, of every person we meet because uh, you know, um be, being a, a judge and and jury on, on other human beings is not a, a smart place to maneuver yourself into Ever. being. Yeah. But when it comes to these the these leaders that we've talked about, and in fact those three leaders that we've now mentioned a few times, mm-hmm. Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Slavechik, Rabbi Schneerson, um, they all had such a role to play in the in the diaspora to to mm-hmm. Amisrael, which right now and then it was even more, is is fifty percent in the diaspora. 
Um, so the question is, you know, Rav Soloveitchik had, had, uh, had moved here in 1935, had got the job as Rav Rashi when he interviewed for it, as the chief rabbi when he, of, of Israel when he interviewed for it. He would have had a very different impact on, on Amisran. And it seems to me anyone who believes in, uh, you know, Ashkacha and divine, divine supervision of some level or, 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 or destiny, uh, that wasn't the plan for Rav Soloveitchik. And I don't think it was the plan for, for Rabbi Sachs. We can talk about why not at the end of their lives, but both you know, Rabbi Sachs was very active until, I mean, he was taken from us uh, tragically in his prime. He, um, that, that's why it was and, so and, painful. And, like, he seemed so vital right up to the end. Like, he didn't... Well, I'll, I, I, I'll tell you something heartbreaking. I, I uh, you know, the, uh, I, I, there's a small team of us that work on, on continuing his legacy. And, and uh, the leaders of that team are people that have worked with him for many, many years while he was alive. Mm. And I said to his chief of staff, we, it was her position while he was alive, um, it's heartbreaking to think he must have had in his head a list of books he still wanted to to, to write. And she said to me, it, it's on a piece of paper. Like, he, mm. she's seen the piece yeah. of paper. And that, that's even harder to imagine. But he knew what he knew what he had to do. I would like to think that one of those books was on the state of Israel. I feel that he mm. had much to contribute here. I know why he ne- hadn't written that book yet. His, his three brothers live here, actually, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, one of them specifically, his brother Alan, I've spoken to briefly about this, and um, he very much wanted Rabbi Sachs to write more about Israeli society and addressing, you know, um, uh, um, adapting his thought, applying his thought to Israeli society. And I know why Rabbi Sachs did, was uncomfortable at that thought, um, but I'd like to think that he, Alan and maybe me could have bullied him into it in the years mm-hmm. to come, but... But sadly, that that's can you can you elaborate on when you say you know why he didn't? Yeah, so he I, I, and I think it was smart, and I feel the same. And, and I've by lived the way, for let 20, me just interrupt 20. you for a second, just to tell you, if there's something I'm asking or Liel asks you that you don't want to, that's sure. you know telling tales out of school, just tell us, and that's fine too. But. Sure, and, and I have to be careful not to speak in his name because I'm not qualified. Exactly. To. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. So I can only give you my sense from what I've heard from him speaking and also actually on this issue from his brother, Alan. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, listeners should realize this is me talking and possibly my interpretation. So I, mm-hmm. I'm really not speaking in his name. Um, he, 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 he had, I think he had ideas, powerful ideas that I, I'm desperate for Israeli leadership to, to take on board. Whatever that means in its most, you know, broadest generic sense. Um, but he felt very much that, and I think of what we all know about Israelis, maybe all people are like this, but like when, when someone who's considered an outsider comes and says, well, this is how you should be doing it. That's hard to hear. And Israelis, mm-hmm. especially, like, what can he possibly know about living in Israel? And I say this all the time. And I've had conversations. We've all had conversations like this. My first daughter is about to go into the army just next week. So what can I, what can someone sitting in England, as I've had conversations often with friends and family in England, mm-hmm. telling me what Israel's government should do about the conflict? What can they possibly understand about living here until they're sending their kids to the army? And until they're sitting in, in, in Miklatim, in, um, in, in bomb shelters when rockets are coming here, they can't really tell me what it's like to live here and therefore what our government should be doing. Now, we should have open dialogue and, and, and everyone has a, a right to, to voice opinions, but I think it has to be in that context. He was very aware that, um, he's never lived here and he's not on the inside. So to write, mm-hmm. to, to write a book about Israel from the outside, um, is bound to fail. That's what he felt. Um, he 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 became more and more active here. His presence was more. He, he would come here often. He would speak often. He even um, speaking in his, his one of his 
um, powerful, I don't want to say weapons, it's got to be another word, tools is his oratory skills. He was mm-hmm. mag- a magnificent orator. Yeah. Um, and when he tried to speak in Hebrew, his Hebrew is fine. It's no, no worse than mine and probably yours. But he, he lost 50% of that and, mm-hmm. and it was hard for him. Um, and so, you know, he did a speaking tour in Hebrew. I don't want to say it wasn't successful. People came out and people enjoyed it, but he realized that that's not his strength for speaking in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But all of his books have, have been or are being translated by, by Korean publishers. I'll do a quick plug for them. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's very important. And I, I get tremendous nachat from walking into my Israeli Bet Knesset, my Israeli synagogue and seeing Israelis reading him in Hebrew. Um, mm-hmm. and that's my, my hope is that his ideas are being spread and, uh, and people are hearing them and listening to them. And there are many, um, Israeli leaders, uh, uh, the president of, of Israel being one of them, who's very much influenced by Rabbi Sachs. Um, so President Herzog is, is, is very much has, has books of Rabbi Sachs on his, um, on his bedside table. I've heard secondhand, that, that, for, not from him directly, that that's the case. So that was, that, that was what was happening. And that was the plan. And Rabbi Sachs was very invested in increasing his influence in Israel. But I think to write a book just on Israeli society, he was reluctant to do. Um, mm-hmm. To my frustration, it came from a sense of humility. Absolutely, of living. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I understand that. I understand. I mean, I agree with you that, that it makes me sort of sad because I would have wanted it, but I, I, I don't know that I, I would have done differently. Like that, that humility is also something that we can all learn from. So it's not. He was a tremendously humble person, actually, which is remarkable yeah. because he was so had he achieved so much, and he was, you know. And he know he knew the influence he had on, on people in the world, and but he he was very um, grounded. Um, mm-hmm. And you you know someone who has that kind of profile, um, it, it, often and for sure in the political world, but even in, in the rabbinic world and Jewish education world, it often becomes about them and their ego, and and they you know and they can still make a tremendous impact, but on some level you can see that it's really about. And for him, it just never was. He was actually a very, an introverted personality that he worked hard on becoming extrovert, uh, but as a, as a tactic, as a strategy in order to further his work. Um, he never, he never searched for the, for the, for the, um, what's the word? The uh, celebrity, the spotlight. Yeah, the, or the, the something Bye. like the, the, he never searched, you know, to be center of, of attention. Um, uh, but he realized that he had a role to play. And so that's that's what he did. Speaking of, of his books, you were talking about that he had a list of books that he still wanted to write. Um, right now, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading Future Tense. And I don't know, I'm thinking about our listeners and thinking about um, the future of the Jewish people or the, specifically the future of, of the Jewish people in Israel. Um, do you think that, what do you, I mean, again, I don't want you to speak for him like we t- discussed before, but um, did he have specific ideas about you know, where he wanted um, Israel to be in 20 years from now, 50 years from now, um, where he wanted the Jewish diaspora to be in interaction with Israel in the future? Did he have thoughts on that? So uh, I'm, pl- I'm so pleased, I'm thrilled you're reading Future Tense. That's the book I would recommend to you and to all your listeners. If you want to hear and understand his approach to Israel, it's that book. There are two chapters in that book that I think are magnificent. Uh, one focuses more on how Israel, in the miraculous, what I'm going to describe and he describes as a miraculous story of the rebirth of the Jewish people 
through the state of Israel, um, how inspiring that is to us and how, how that's quintessentially the, the Jewish story. Um, and then the second chapter, he takes the gloves off and, and he says, you know, he talks very much about, um, separating religion and state and what that would, how that would, um, the impact that could have on, on the state of Israel. Um, because so many of the issues in Israeli society in terms of tension between communities, religious communities and secular communities, revolves around the, the, the political power that the religious parties have. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he uses, um, kind of the Tanakh as, as a proof text for, for, for separating religion and state. Um, you know, the, we, there were three branches of, of power in, in Tanakh times. Um, there was the king and there were the Kohanim, the priests, and then there was the prophets and the, the kind of inheritors of, the, of that religious um, leadership became the rabbis. Um, and they were separate. Uh, the, the, the interaction and the dynamic between the prophet and the king was a fascinating one throughout Tanakh. Um, and uh, the, 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 the reli- religious leadership should not have political power, he really felt. Um, so he wrote about that and... Uh, uh, um, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he talked about, is it very interesting as well, because it, it, America, which is the best example of, of a true political system with true separation of, of religion and state, is one of the most religious societies. And if, mm-hmm. he quotes um, um, a lot of uh, research into how comfortable people are talking about God in the public sphere. And uh, he, he analyzed every president's inaugural speech and how many references from Tanakh there are, and how many references to God there is. And that's all very acceptable. And that would never happen in England, because in England there is no separation of church and state, because there is a a state church, the Anglican church. Um, And so in England... freedom of religion, but not separation of church and state. Right. So in England, religion is, is... becomes a private thing because it's like nominally this it has there is a state like the queen is the head of the head of the 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 church, the church of england so you know that that's an interesting model america but he, he references america as being when the minute you separate religion and state you know and uh, politically it, the, the public sphere becomes this open place where people can be whatever type of religious they want to be and and it's very healthy and uh israel is not quite like that <laughs> When, when religion um, and, loses power, it gains influence. Exactly, and he talked a lot about the difference between power and influence, um, mm-hmm. and that's exactly it. And 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 that was that was his hope for the for the state of Israel um, and, and 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 its future. Can I just ask you before we continue talking about Rav Sachs's thought, how you connected to Rav Sachs? Like, what was your what made you so connected to him? So, in the loosest sense my first initial connection to him is he was my chief rabbi. So I was, mm-hmm. I was, uh, he was, became chief rabbi in 91. So in 1991, I was still, I was like in high school, towards the end of my high school years, which tells you how old I am. Um, and, uh, and, and the, so he was our chief rabbi. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you respect and, uh, and chief rabbi. But I didn't, I didn't understand his greatness at that point in the early nineties. But then I, I came to Israel and I studied for two years in yeshiva. And that's where, you know, I wasn't a great student in high school. But once I got to yeshiva, I was quite motivated to, to, to study in yeshiva. And I started reading books voluntarily that no one was telling me to read. And that's when I first started reading him. And I, so I really fell in love with him. Once you leave school, school, you can finally start getting an education. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm very much the same way. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I fell in love with his thoughts before I le- fell in love with him as a person. I don't, mm. I don't even remember if I'd ever heard him speak. 
before I was 18. Maybe I had. Once you hear him speak, you are bowled over by. And, you, mm-hmm. and, and there are so many of his speeches on YouTube. I urge mm-hmm. everyone to go and say he, he's got a YouTube channel uh, and to look and to hear. Even short five-minute clips are, are really inspiring. Um, and then, and so that was my initial connection to him. Uh, he also, and this was something wonderful about him, as much as he was chief rabbi and as much as he took that role to this level, this global level, or certainly in England at that point, where he would be, you know, connecting to prime ministers and connecting to Prince Charles, he was quite close with Prince Charles, the heir to the throne. Um, he always made himself available for the, for the chevra, for the, mm-hmm. for the youth movement kids, especially the bogrim. Especially the people who are like, in England, you, you're very active in your youth movement when you come back from your gap year. And then you're, you're in college, but, but, um, so youth leadership. In England, a lot of kids stay in London for college. And so that, that's where the youth movements are active. But even the youth movements, I don't know if it's still quite like this, but the youth movements have a big, um, um, they also have a presence in, in, in college towns in, in, in the north of England. But anyway, either way, you're, you're active in your youth movement. And he was a passionate supporter of youth movements, especially B'nai Kiva, and that was the youth movement that I grew up in, but all the youth movements, because he mm-hmm. saw their value in terms of, in terms of uh, exciting and, uh, and bringing passion to Jewish kids. So he always made himself available. He would speak at the B'nai Kiva by regularly. So we would, we would, you know, see him. And there we're talking about an intimate audience of 50, 50, mm. you know, 20, 20 people in their early 20s where we got to access him and speak to him and schmooze to him. And it was, it was so inspiring and, and it had a big impact on all of us. Um, so that was where my relationship with him grew. You know, he didn't know my name at that point. He probably recognized my face because I became a groupie as we all did. Um, and also I went into education and, and he has always made himself available to educators as a resource. So he would invite Jewish educators to his house for like, you know, an audience with him and receptions and things like that. And that was wonderful. Um, then I made Aliyah. So then once I made Aliyah, uh, um, uh, uh, it became more about like I, it wasn't a personal connection to him, but it was you know I became I was passionate about his thought and I read everything that he had to say. Um, but then I was lucky enough that he about uh, five or so years ago he put out a call to Jewish educators of the world. He said I'm 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 really motivated to be a resource for you to help you, but I need you to tell me how I can help you. So he put out this call. It was like a short Facebook video. Um, so I happen to know the people working in his, in his, um, in his office. Uh, one was the sister-in-law of a close friend of mine growing up. And the other was my previous chanich from B'nai Kiva, like, um, my camper, I say chanich, my camper. camper. Yeah. It's not really camper. Yeah. Anyway, my camper from B'nai Kiva. Um, and so I reached out to them. I said, look, I've got ideas. I, I, cause I was, I was desperate to have the opportunity to help take his ideas, which, some of his books are really complex philosophical kind of tractates, mm-hmm. but take them and, 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 and adapt them for high school kids and for, for junior high kids, you know, for middle school kids. I felt that it could because the ideas are simple and elegant, um, even if complex. Um, and I basically talked my way into, I was like, I, this is what I think you should do. And I think I know the man for the job. <laughs> and thank God I got, you know, I got that job and we, 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 we did a few projects together since that doing exactly that, uh, um, adapting his ideas and um, creating content that was useful for educators and, and readable for, for middle school and high school kids and for families around the Shabbat table. Um, and, and so I've had the bracha and the honor to work with him um, over the last few years of his life. And and then when he died, uh, we all kind of um, focused on building his legacy. And so that's really what I'm busy doing now. Mm. Now, th- there's a difference, I think, between being a Zionist who is religious 
and a religious Zionist. In other words, if a person is observant in their own way, whatever the way that is, of fulfilling Jewish ritual, and they support the state of Israel, so then they're a religious Jew who's, you know, at least in the broad sense, a Zionist. But I would argue that a religious Zionist is somebody who, that's not separate from their religiosity, that the, that the state of Israel is seen as a manifestation of prophecies, you know, from ancient times, and that the work that Zionists do in building the state is a fulfillment of God's mission for the Jewish people, things like that, where it becomes, where the the ideas are so integrated that they're no longer two separate parts of their Jewish identity. It's one part of their Jewish identity. And, and, I, and I'm assuming like any other distinction, there's a spectrum of different ways to do that and overlap that. Where would you put Rabbi Sachs in that framing? Certainly a religious Jew, certainly a Zionist. Yeah, he definitely Zionist and definitely religious. Um, so your your definition of religious Zionism is is interesting, and it's uh, this is a complex conversation that. Uh, I mean, you can argue a different one also. I'm not well. So to... religious Zionism is also, as as you well know, a political movement. So he was never involved with religious Zionism as a political movement, and 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 he never, you know, and he never came to Israel to be involved in in the religious Zionist world here. Um, well, but it, well, I would I would argue that there there is a political, there are political actors who do what they do in the name of religious Zionism, but I think that religious Zionism is something bigger than that. See, the trouble is so. there are some people that feel that if you don't, if you're not involved in religious in in the kind of political sphere of religious Zionism, you're not a true religious Zionist. Well, Rev Cook that's said not that, what I believe. Rev Cook said religious Zionist leadership should stay out of all politics. So it's, right, it's funny right. that there are religious Zionist leaders Ab- today. Absolutely. Who and that, I mean, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. It's so complicated. Look, I, 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 and, and, absolutely. And, and, and listen, we're talking in an era where there is a party in the Knesset, in the Israeli parliament, which uh, it fights against gay rights, which fights to alienate Israeli Arab citizens from you know, their their civil and political rights based on their ethnicity, that this week the leader of the party told an Arab fellow parliamentarian, you know, you're only here because Ben-Gurion didn't finish the job, which is classic anti-Semitic language he's using against Arabs. So so the, 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 the topic of the political wing of the religious Zionist world is fraught with complexity and for many of us, deep disappointment and sh- I would even say shame. Yeah, and because of that, I, I think the religious Zionist world is in tremendous crisis because yeah. as that party moves further to the right and then the, our prime minister who who in, in on some level is the head of a religious Zionist party or was a religious Zionist party has, has moved it away from you know whatever direction he's moved it in and so I think a lot of religious Zionists feel unrepresented in the government anyway I I, I think what I, I think according to what your definition of religious Zionism which wasn't the the, the this more political um yeah. definition I, I think that Rabbi Rabbi Sachs would definitely describe him as a religious Zionist I think that he felt that um the the the, the narrative of the of the modern state of Israel is one that he sees God in, in, at every turn and on every page um, he so, sees it as a fulfillment, saw it as a fulfillment of, of the b- biblical prophecies of, of the Jewish return to Israel. There's no question about that. Um, he, he spoke often and wrote often about um, God's role in this story and seeing God's role in this story. Um, but also what I want to mention is how important uh, uh, Israel is to his thought. that uh, 
it, it's an impossible uh, f- um, uh, uh, act to sum up his the various actors' of philosophy course. of Judaism in in in, you know, in 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 two minutes, but I'm going to try. But <laughs> in essence, he believes in a in a um, a Jewish national mission um, uh, of of tikkun olam, which he 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 expressed using that term um, on um, fixing the world, like redeeming the world, making the world a better place. Um, uh, ending the e- evils in the world and the ills of the world, um, and the Jewish role in doing that is, an, is, a, is as a nation, but 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 not as individuals living in New York and in London, mm-hmm. but rather as a nation creating a nation state, a society that is a model society based on the values of Torah, and that's in Israel. So he says the the, the future tense, the book that the El mentioned, the end of future tense. Um, the last chapter in the book Future Tense talks about how Judaism is this fascinating uh, Jewish literature goes against all norms of literature because you think about the Torah, the Chumash, it doesn't have an ending. It mm-hmm. ends on a on a cliffhanger. Moshe mm-hmm. dies, and Yeshua takes over, but but they've only just got to the point where they then actually have to you know fulfill God's plan, which is to go you know to come into Eretz Israel, into the land of Israel, conquer it, and and create a state here. Um, and we and that and it ends there. And then the end of Tanakh ends with Galut, um, you know, where 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 it's almost a failure. But it's not a failure because the Jewish story doesn't end at the end of Tanakh. Tanakh doesn't have an ending. The Jewish story hasn't yet had an ending. Uh, he talks about how you know for for Jews, Mashiach. The only thing we know for sure about Mashiach is he hasn't come yet, and that distinguishes us obviously from Christianity, um, which has a different theological approach to the Messiah. Mashiach hasn't come yet because we've got so much more work to do and that's what we should be doing. And and for him, that work is ultimately creating a model state in the land of Israel. That is the ultimate destiny of the Jewish people. And that's central to his thought. Um, everything he's ever written feeds into that. And and, and that's Israel. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you, know, you know, was he a religious Zionist? Was Zionism uh, an important part of his of his thought? I think it was possibly the most important aspect and element of his thought. Oh yeah, I mean that's the definite what you've just described as it is the mission of the Jewish people to create a model state to the nations. Yeah, right. that's that is really right, and it's not his chidosh. You know, right, 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 right. Cook took, spoke about of it. Course. You can even you can even really say that all these ideas are found in in our ancient and, and classical texts, the Tanakh and, 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 and Talmud. But Rabbi Sachs wrote it and framed it in a very contemporary way that makes it. Um, you, you can almost see the, the 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 plan ahead, like how it can happen, um, mm-hmm. and he's left us this legacy to continue. Is that that's what we need to do? Um, we we need to do that. We need to find a way of of, of making Israel in, in in that image. Yeah, and I think I would argue that all too often, you know, when you're talking about those political actors within the religious Zionist world, I don't think they're, I don't think they understand the mission the way Rabbi Sachs is formulating it. Because I don't think they're trying to shine a light to the nations that make people look at us and say, "Oh, look how they're." It's a. It's they may they may and and I believe I'll, I'll, I'll assume they sincerely think they're fulfilling some sort of religious Zionist directive. But I I I certainly consider myself to be a religious Zionist, and I associate much more with the Rabbi Sachs formulation, which I think is right. is a perfect articulation of that idea that we have we have. We are our our particularism of focusing on our nation is meant to make our nation so morally upright that other states will look to us 
for help and will happily help them. It's a universalist ended particularism. And I, I just find that so sweepingly beautiful that yeah. I, I, I would I would say Rabbi Sachs is is continuing the legacy of Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook of the real how he formulated religious Zionism as opposed to many of today's political who believe that they are the the well, natural they claim the name. heirs right of Rabbi of Rav Cook and that it's painful that that's where but that's how they where they've taken Rav Cook's thought. I agree with you 100%. Well, because I think that, and, and, and please correct me because I'm not the expert by any means, but I, I think that, that, that when one thinks of Rabbi Sex, one thinks of whatever the terminology you use, of, of, most people use modern orthodoxy, an openness to the world and an openness to developing and changing with the, with the times that we live in. That's really sort of, that sort of Rabbi Sachs was so deeply involved in articulating a 21st century, you know, intelligent, thoughtful Judaism, and so of course his religious Zionism wasn't tainted by those sort of. I don't, I don't want to use pejorative language, but I don't know. I don't know a better word than ugly. You know, racist or homophobic or or, or the the. I think, it, unfortunately, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you, Daniel, one of the things when I when I entered that what if world that we were talking about earlier, of what if Rabbi Soloveitchik had come here or what if Rabbi Sachs had come here, this is exactly the part that that hurts me in the what if, and and, and you're so right that it's not constructive. I so agree with you, and I can't help imagining a much more thriving modern orthodoxy in Israel which is just not really here so much. Like the religious Zionist world really has a not modern wing. And, and you know, there's even a nickname, you know, in Hebrew, Haredi Dati Le'umi, that they're, they're, which doesn't really translate to English well, but the ultra-Orthodox Zionists. Um, mm-hmm. That, that I, 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 would, I, I would imagine that Rabbi Soloveitchik and Rabbi Sachs could have made an impact on changing that dynamic because we had, we certainly have modern Orthodox rabbinic leader. We had a Rav Amitab, we have Rav Lichtenstein, and others who, who articulated that approach. But I, we, there is something still to the personal charisma of certain people who impact beyond their ideas by their personas, and and I don't, and, and the, sometimes that can be a creepy thing. But with but with certain great great leaders, men and women. I think it's 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 a good thing, like when they're when the force of who they are comes through, that they're genuine. It, it impacts us in ways that are it's hard to explain to people who have it. Like when you say watch him on YouTube, I've ne- I, I've seen him on YouTube, and it it's an amazing experience. And I, I I just imagine being in the room is a whole other level of. So to me, that's the tragedy that that Israel still needs that kind of integration of modernity and, and, and sophisticated philosophical thinking with religiosity that does exist in the States. It does exist in England. It does exist here. But that's my always what if. What if they had been here? Would it have radiated more powerfully in this culture, which then would have enlightened the diaspora Jewish community as well? That's that's my... I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Um, my only hope to give us some some hope, and my best always... Uh, Contrasted hope and optimism. Optimism mm-hmm. is a passive trait where you you sit back and you're like, I'm optimistic, but it's it's like someone else. I'm optimistic that 
you know, like you can be an optimistic sports fan. I'm not an optimistic sports fan, but you can be. One <laughs> can be. On the team, but you're passive because yeah. you, you can't influence your team. If, if I could, things may be different. Um, he talked about hope. Hope is something that's more active because you, you, mm. you, you have hope and then you have to work hard to achieve that. So my, uh, my hope for us in terms of um, uh, this conversation is I'm having more and more conversations with Israelis, Israelis, because I feel that there's, on some level, even though we, you know, we've been here 20, 30 years, whatever it is, maybe we're still outsiders. Maybe the people that you're talking about, I mean, Ravar Mittal was, um, well, he wasn't Anglo. Well, he was an immigrant. Uh, from the, but he was an immigrant. Holocaust. And Rav Lichtenstein was an American immigrant. And so many of the yeah. people that I, I feel yeah. like, like was it, get it, they're, they're not born Israelis. But there are well, you born have Rav Israelis. Shirla, Rav Lau. You do have people who are educated exactly. by Rav Amital and Rav Lichtenstein. Absolutely. And, and there are people who are connected to Rabbi Sachs's thought. And we're now, I mean, it's devastating that Rabbi Sachs has been taken from us so prematurely. But now it's time for, for others to take his ideas and, and, yeah. and run with them. And, it, and, and if there are enough, um, Israeli thinkers who want to do that, then, then Rabbi Sachs has left this legacy that, that others will continue. The one, the, the, the rabbi you mentioned, Rabbi Benny Lau, is for sure uh, a tremendous supporter of Sachs and and, uh, and, and, and really works. is someone that can... Yeah. It, what's amazing is that some of these books become bestsellers in the Israeli marketplace, not just among the religious, but they connect to the broader Israeli culture who want to understand. Yeah. There is a, there's a, there's a, there's a thirst for, and look, and the truth is, I think I, I have a, I, I have a theory that on any topic you have experts but the ability you were talking about when we started about his ability to articulate in a way that's comprehensible to the layperson, mm-hmm. that's rare, but pretty much in any field you have that. And I'll bet you you're right. I never thought of it before that part of that ability depends on a cultural shared frame of reference. Right. 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 So that makes a lot of sense that somebody like right. Rav Lau or of Sherlau can speak to right. their fellow right. Sabras right. in a way. If you actually yeah. read his books, you, as Americans or originally Americans, you, it might be that you gloss over. There are a lot of subtle references that only British people will pick up. But Rabbi Sanks was also very focused on America and loved America mm-hmm. and was was inspired mm-hmm. by America and American in society. I mean, he worked in yeah, yeah. And, and so there's a lot of that in those books as well. But the, not the same when it comes to that that Israeli um, yeah. kind of so sociologically, you know, uh, those references, those subtleties. We need someone else to 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 adapt and hopefully there will be hopefully now that there'll be the, this next generation of young thinkers and um and and and, and authors that will uh, that will take his ideas and and really apply them in Israel. can you tell us a little bit about your work right now in keeping the legacy alive and the pr- projects you're working on absolutely so we're we're, we're kind of in there are like stages to it and although we've got big dreams and big ideas that are going to cost big money so if there's anyone particularly philanthropic that's listening and uh, would like to support our work, just be in touch. Um, so, but, but right now we're focusing very much on, on curating the tremendous content that he left behind us. So he wrote books and they're all published and, and that's great. But there is so much other material, videos and, and audio uh, uh, files and, and writings that have not been published yet that are... Uh, um, so we're, we're finding new material and re kind of organizing the, the material that's out there. Uh, and we're relaunching his website in the coming weeks. Mm. Um, will be a new website that'll be much more accessible to people. 
um, you know, with very powerful search engines so that you can really search, you know, you want to know what Rabbi Sachs said on one particular issue on Israel or on, on the Knesset or on, mm. you'll, you'll find a whole rate. So that, that's generally what's going on. Um, I specifically, um, am involved in, in, in kind of curating the content for, um, younger audiences for like high school, high schools and, and middle schools and families so that there'll be, um, lots and lots of resources in kind of bite-sized form, but all connected and presented in a, in a way that's useful. So the educators, because we really, we're desperate for Jewish educators the world over and across the religious spectrum as well, which is, you know, I, we put, we started my, I started my work uh, in the weeks after his death by putting out like a questionnaire to as many Jewish educators as I could, uh, as I could reach. And, and, um, the, the numbers of people from outside of the Orthodox community that were passionate about his ideas and wanted help and had ideas on how we can help them was amazing. It was so uh, invigorating to see that. So that's what that's what I'm busy doing. I'm busy. Uh, uh, I, it's it, the brilliance is his. I just try and package it um, nicely yeah. um, for for high school educators, for and day school educators, but also you know uh, with other other educators beyond the day school as well. Well, I think that's what that's what that's what we all do. All of us educators mm-hmm. is we're taking things that are complex and we're and we're making it accessible and showing the relevance to younger people who are entering into that world. That's that's the gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's why we love it. It's just uh, things that that are so meaningful to us. We we help get across to other people who hadn't accessed it, but then it leads them to. I, I almost feel like for somebody, there are people who are so big. You almost need like to me like the model is uh, if you've ever like been to the Bagan Center, where you walk through his biography but also encounter his ideas. Like I think they did such a magnificent job of somebody who's that big a figure, and it, and it also comes across like I know many of the like like a few of the different people who've run the institution were people who would never have voted for right. Bagan, but they connect to him in that broader sense. So. He was obviously a very divisive figure in some ways, but and Rabbi Sachs is such a uniting figure. Mm-hmm. But maybe one day there'll be some place where that that experience of walking into somebody's life. I know yeah. that's well. So that those are the kind of fantasy dream projects that I fantasy, really hope yeah. one day will come about. I mean, I'd love for there to be an institution, and it won't be, and it can't be in England. I mean, I apologize. I'm I, I'm very proud to come from the English Jewish community, but it's a, that's a small community. This place needs to be in Israel. Uh, this institution, so. whatever it might be, that tells his story, but is also a a a play a space for people exactly as we were talking for people to come together over his ideas and then to develop them and, and to and to run with them. So that's that's what I hope. Either here or America or both. Um, uh, this is what, what what I hope will ultimately. Uh, but I, you know, I I'm very good at spending other people's money on educational <laughs> projects. I'm not very good at creating or uh, that money. So. I think it's okay to have dreams, you know, and then work towards them. That's the hope you were talking about earlier, that it's okay to live in hope that, because, because, and and I mean, I can't think of of a bigger compliment as as somebody to learn from, is that he will articulate things that you just knew, you, you already knew was true and never, and you know, oh, but now the articulation makes it so much more powerful to me. Like somebody who, who's educating in that way is so impactful. And that's, I think, why it's uniting is he he takes sort of these values and he translates them into meaningful thought that you can turn into action. Like mm-hmm. just such an important modern religious figure. Yeah, that, I agree 
Yeah, well, That's sure. Funny. I'm preaching to the choir here, but no, but, but <laughs> no, but yeah. so I spend a lot of time trying to think is that an obvious idea that everyone knows? Why is he the only one talking about it? <laughs> but yeah, it, right. it's not a, but it, right, yeah. it's not like radical. These ideas aren't radical. They're not, he's not taking Judaism anywhere. That, that you know, I don't think there's anything that he would say that anyone across the religious spectrum would be uncomfortable with, which is right. partly why he is such a unifying character because secular Jews and, and reformed Jews and Haredi Jews can unite over his ideas. Now, plenty of people have criticisms of him and, and arguments with, sure, you know, uh, 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 and that's fine. And, and he that's embraced great. that and, and, and welcomed that. But, um, in essence, he, he's, he's just uh, articulating a Judaism. I call it big picture Judaism because I, you know, I grew mm-hmm. up in day school system where I spent a lot of time learning about the minutiae of Judaism, yes. whether it be halakha, whether it be the way we analyze text. And there's beauty Which in that important. and importance in that. But sometimes you forget to teach the kids what the big picture is. And he, I think, was, I, I was the just champion of the about this, that we spend so much time focusing on the leaves yeah. and each leaf is precious and beautiful and needs its attention that we forget right. to take that step back to the forest. And I think plugging into that is so, and that's, that's sort of, I, I, I do think, for me anyway, that's the legacy I take away. So obviously we appreciate the work that you do, but uh, just more selfishly, we appreciate you for, you know, for giving us this time today to reflect on, and, and, and I, I, in listening around and looking around, I don't think so many people are talking about his reflections on Israel in particular. And so for me, this was a very helpful focusing conversation in, in terms of and even just, I, I, I didn't really feel comfortable articulating that question that you raised up front about his not living here. But as you said it, I'm like, oh, it did bother me in my heart. Like I did, you're right. And and then just come, just in the course of this conversation, like coming to terms with that, we're like, okay, yeah, sure. Like that's, that's people, yeah. that's cool. Like I, I'm not, so for me, this has been both enlightening and therapeutic. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I really thank you, Daniel. I really thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure to be here. And, um, you know, I love talking about Rabbi Sachs and uh, talking with lovely people is uh, is an extra bonus. So thank you for having me. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. And thank you, Leo. And mm-hmm. we don't have to log off, but it's the end of the interview. So I'm going to stop the recording. Bye-bye. Masal Leadership Curriculum, inspired by the works of Rabbi Lord Sachs, is a joint endeavor of the Office of Rabbi Lord Sachs and the Masal Leadership and Impact Center that offers an important and timely contribution to the field of Jewish leadership education, making Jewish leadership insights, tools, and practices available to a wide range of educators and young Jewish adults. The curriculum that will be available to educators and students alike later on in the year. Masa Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the State of Israel. Masa offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MasaIsrael.org for more info.